Hello all, welcome to the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for SeedSync.com. I am your host, Artie Kulik, and with me is a man that is still, still getting over the awesomeness of Masters of the Gridiron, and he's talking about going out to the city by the lake called Erie to go fight some uh, Tiny Tims and stuff, and that's the greatest other host, Ty Kulik. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. Yeah, I like to imagine that I'm from... Uh linebacker but i think i'd rather <laughs> hang out with uh, dt and that crew than maybe the masters of the gridiron <laughs> yeah. dt seems like more of a fun time yeah you get uh hanford dixon and ernest biner the greatest actors of our generation <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's small t- again i was talking to our my friend who sometimes contributed contributed to the website and the podcast kurt he listened and asked me <laughs> <laughs> what in the hell are you guys talking about? And I told him, I said, you kind of have to watch it to believe it. And he's not going to watch no. it. But there's just some stuff I was thinking about. Like, man, this is some of the wildest movie stuff I've ever seen in my life. And I will never, ever forget what I watched last no. weekend. No, <laughs> no, no. And I, I last night went to go see the Dungeons and Dragons movie, which is pretty awesome, people. I'm not it's kidding. It's getting great reviews. I mean, it's, it is an enjoyable told my wife imagine game of thrones but fun okay <laughs> it's i mean it looks great and all that that's a that's not what we're talking about today we all, that'll be for a future thing like movies that i was genuinely surprised were any good we're gonna do another sports one but we're gonna talk about tradition the reason this came up to me is the ncaa tournament just ended and mm-hmm. it's i know there's the luther vandross one shining moment or whatever i i think it was the 1990s the last time i actually stayed up for first off I want to talk about dumbass traditions why in the holy hell does the college title game start at 9:20 eastern time on a monday night yeah my son was pretty bummed about that cuz he wanted to watch and that's what he said can i stay up and watch the whole thing dad and his bedtime you're in the eastern time zone yeah. i'm in the central time zone so it started at 8:20 my time his bedtime is 9 here and i said you can stay up until 9:30 tonight he only made it to halftime yeah so that's that's a drag man they need to start that at i think 8 o'clock your time 7 o'clock my time yeah i i agree and 9:20 is just Beyond ridiculous. And they moved it because I remember, I think it was 2018, 19, Villanova and Michigan played. And obviously I'm going to watch because Michigan's in the game. I don't think it tipped until close to 9 p.m. my time. I so. just, no, it's ridiculous. But there is something that's nice. You'll see this in conference tournaments, and then you'll see it when a team wins its region to go to the final four. And then obviously you see in the final, they get a ladder out and a bunch of people go up and cut down the nets and tie it's so mundane, it's so stupid, but I think it's one of the coolest traditions you've ever seen. I love it. I'm going to tell you where it came from. I just decided to go down this wiki hole to be like, okay, where did cutting down the nets come from? And it started in, this is pretty definitive. They said it started in 1947 when North Carolina State had just won their second conference title and their head coach, he wanted a souvenir. So he decided that he was going to take the net from the basketball game as a souvenir. Now, he was a high school coach in Indiana, and he'd been doing it in Indiana for a few years. And there's a famous picture, if you look it up, of all of his players holding him up because the stadium didn't know he was going to take their net away. And then as time's gone on, it became a tradition, and it actually goes by seniority. So the least senior player on the team makes the first cut. And then yeah. goes, and then the final cuts made by the head coach, and each player gets to keep a a little bit of the of the, the net. net. I don't know why, Ty, but to me, when we go through the list of that, that still is probably my favorite, just little weird tradition in in sports. 
Yeah, you mentioned one shining moment, and it's funny. I have a lot of friends who, oh, did you stay up and watch? I've never stayed up to watch the one shining moment stuff because I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I that's really some think. real boomer ass dad rock stuff. But anyways, exactly. go ahead. And like, but no, and the whole deal with that is like, watch turn, watch highlights from the tournament you just watched all of. So I don't need to do that over again. The cutting in the nets, I think, is really cool, and like. It's cool when you see older players who maybe don't play a lot cut it down and then they tie the net around their hat after they've won the conference, their region, or the national title. And the look of joy on everybody's faces, but mainly the head coach's face when they get up there, they cut that net down, they wave it in the air. And I just think it'd be really, really cool to be a head coach, to make it that far. And yeah, trophies, rings, all that stuff's really cool. But to have that net from where you won the national title, from where your team beat the other team in what I think is the greatest sports tournament in the history of sports tournament is March Madness. It's just, it's such a cool thing. I love that whole idea that the reason it started is because the coach in 1947 wanted to keep a memento (laughs) from where they were. It's the best way to celebrate the best tournament in sports. You get a piece from the court. It, It would be akin to taking like a piece of the hardwood floor up from the basketball court. So I think this is an amazing way to celebrate a title. Well, a lot of these, and I've, you gave me a great transition because a lot of these we're going to talk about are colleges. Colleges mm-hmm. have a lot of traditions, and you're going to talk about some of the trophies. I'm going to talk about some of the shenanigans they get up to. But mm-hmm. while I was researching this, I came across the Florida State Sod Cemetery. Have you ever heard of this? No. So I actually think this is cool as hell. You talk about taking a piece of the net or, yeah. as a memento. So this started in 1962 when the Florida State Seminoles were going to play Georgia. Georgia was favored at the time. It, it, this was uh, in October, so midseason or something like that. And it was in Georgia. So I can't remember where Georgia University is. Athens. Athens, yeah. So it was in Athens. And Florida State beat them 18 to nothing. Oh, So the good. coach decided to take a piece of the field as nice. victory, and then they paraded it around campus. Well, then okay. they decided it was shortly after that they played Georgia Tech, who was heavily favored, and they tied. And so the coach took a piece of that side. <laughs> and then that's awesome. And so what they do, so you go to Florida State, they have it's called the Sod Cemetery. And there is, I'm on their website right now, there's 107 different pieces of sod from away stadiums to commemorate big wins in the program's history. So all of their bowl games, they have, I wonder if it's a fake turf. Do they take the fake turf? But in their, <laughs> in <Yeah>. their bowl. <laughs> they find a way to cut that out somehow. Bowl games, they have them. Um, their national championships, they have some. The last one is uh, Boston College. I guess Florida State's been kind of lean the last few years. Well, but, they play in the <laughs> ACC. Yeah. But so they, you got to take what you can. Man, there's a lot of Boston colleges on here. They, I'm <laughs> they, sure there is. They could probably, but <laughs> their last one is from uh, November 20th of 2021 from Boston College. But again, you talk about that. That's 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 pretty awesome. I got I didn't yeah, want to talk yeah. about their unfortunate mascot throwing a flaming spear into the stadium. <laughs> yeah, that's incredibly <laughs> problematic. They need to change that. Yeah. But give me a Not few, the name of the team. No, no. They need to change the mascot. Yeah. <laughs> But give me a few of the other college ones. I'm a big college football fan. Everybody knows that. That's no secret. And before I get into the conference that I watch the most, there are some big ones outside of the big time conference that are big. You have Washington, Washington State every year play for the Apple Cup. And I think that's cool because I don't know. I know that Washington apples are a thing. So I imagine state of Washington has something to do with, with apples. So I think that's pretty cool that they have Apple Cup for that game every year. 
Army, it's this is a three team moment, Army, Navy, and Air Force. Whoever wins that, who has the best record against those three teams, wins the commander in chief trophy. That's so, yeah, pretty so, rad. So I I, I'm, like, I'm gonna tell you this. I had a friend who went to West Point, and I think uh Army was better than average most of the time he was there. Yeah. He would always talk about the commander in chief trophy, and he said, Oh, Notre Dame wins it again because Notre Dame plays all three again. <laughs> but anyway. Well, that, yeah, and that's kind of unfair that <laughs> yeah. they play those teams. No, year, I know, I know, I know. It's a little my, joke, my, but yeah. I was going to say, my hatred for Notre Dame aside, I just think it's cool that Army, Navy, and Air Force all have that. That thing. I mean, when they were in the Big 12 together, Mizzou and Kansas played every year for mm-hmm. Wardrum. I won't say what it's called before no. that because mm-hmm. that is definitely problematic. But there, there is the Wardrum every year. Stanford and Cal play for the Stanford Axe. And I mean, anybody who watches college football knows that Stanford and Cal have had the game where that guy, you know, the band ran onto the field and everything. And then, of course, there's, I think they play for like a golden cowboy hat now, but it's the Texas-Oklahoma game every year, the Red River Red River rivalry, they call it. I slow down and say that yeah. every time. I can't, I can't say it fast enough, but I'm a Big Ten fan. I watch... Big Ten football. That's what I do. I'm a Michigan fan. That's my team. That will always be my team. I often say that's the only inanimate thing I've ever loved in my life. You know, I love my family. I love my wife. I love my kids, obviously. But Michigan football is what I love. And they're in the Big Ten. So I just happen to watch the Big Ten. And when you told me what we were recording about today, I pulled up an article from M Live and they ranked M Live as the Michigan, you know, they cover Michigan State and Michigan football. And basketball, just everything there. And they ranked the best trophies. And I got to be honest with you, some of these I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they're great. But there's other ones that I've never heard of that I do think are great. Nebraska's a late addition. So anytime they're involved with these quote-unquote rivalries, it makes me laugh. Because apparently them in Wisconsin play for something called the Freedom Trophy. Never heard of that. Minnesota plays Nebraska for, this is an, a hilarious name to me, a $5 bits of broken chair trophy. <laughs> This started. Well, as I was gonna say, this started via Twitter. It was a wager between the mascots, so the Cornhusker and the Gopher, or something like this. Yet it somehow makes it onto their best of list. I don't know. And then you got Iowa, Wisconsin is pretty cool. They play for the Heartland Trophy because I mean, what's more Heartland than cow country that you have Iowa to Wisconsin? That one makes a lot of sense to me. A Victory Bell, Minnesota and Penn State play for. That's cool because you can ring a bell. I think that's pretty rad. Again, we're getting back to Nebraska. Heroes Trophy, I could care less about that. I don't understand that. Now, there was a trophy, Northwestern and Michigan. Northwestern considers Michigan a rival. Michigan does not consider it. I'm not saying that to be rude or anything. It's just Michigan has their chief rivals in Notre Dame, Ohio State, Minnesota, and Michigan State. That's that's what it is. But this is one is pretty cool. That This, this started in 2021 20, also. But when Michigan and Northwestern play each other, they play for something called the George Jewett Trophy. And for people who don't know, George Jewett was Northwestern's first African-American football player. I think it's very cool that they do this, that they have this trophy. I think it's a very cool way to honor somebody that maybe not a lot of people know about. So I'm on board for that. This one's awesome. And I don't like either of these teams, but the whole name of the – so Michigan State and Indiana every year play for something called the Old Brass Spittoon. That's rad because mm-hmm. I just think of like dudes with big chaw in their mouth spitting <laughs> yeah. into something who went to Michigan State and Indiana and they're like, you know what? We're going to play for this every year. We want to win this disgusting COVID filled thing that's going to come through. But I don't know. I think that's cool. And like your wife went to Purdue. 
her dad went to Indiana. Every year they play for the old Oaken Bucket. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome trophy. I love that trophy. It's a very Indiana thing. I think it's cool. I don't know the story behind mm-hmm. it, but the, tro- the 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 Oaken Bucket trophy looks really cool. Lana Lincoln trophy is great. I mean, Northwestern Illinois, they're the two Big Ten school. I mean, you, I go to Northwestern Michigan games all the time, and you hear the Northwestern crowd say, we're Chicago's Big Ten school. And then you go to Illinois, and they say, we're Illinois' Big Ten school. So it's cool to see those two teams play for the Lana Lincoln to kind of downgrade Illinois, I think it is hilarious that they have a rivalry with Ohio State. They play for something called the Illibuck Trophy. I don't know how many times Illinois has won that trophy, but apparently that thing's been going on forever. But the stuff I want to get to, the, the big deal stuff in the Big Ten, is you have the Floyd Rosedale. This is Iowa and Minnesota. This is a huge deal for those two teams. They play for it. It's, it's a trophy of like a pig. And it's a really cool-looking trophy. I think that's important. We have Paul Bunyan's X, which is Minnesota and Wisconsin. And when you see that trophy during that game, it is a humongous X. You could do some serious damage. And I know the whole – I'll get more to Paul Bunyan here with the last thing I want to talk about. But you get to the whole myth of Paul Bunyan. Everything was big. And this X is – this X could do some damage. But – the two most important ones to me, and I do want to preface it by saying, you know, you you talk about rivalries, Duke, UNC, and basketball, and even in football now, Auburn, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, they don't have trophies because the game is, winning that game is trophy enough. You don't need to have something to symbolize that you won this game. Like after Michigan beat Ohio State last year, they planted a flag on there and Michigan put that flag in their museum. Like that's enough. But with Michigan, first of all, you have the little brown chug. Now again, the whole I know the whole story with this. When Fielding Yost was Michigan's coach, they went out there. They didn't have water. They used this jug. They painted the score on it, and they left it in Minnesota, and Minnesota kept it because they won next year, and the whole thing started. So every year they play each other, whoever wins, wins this little brown jug. And it is quite literally a little brown jug. One side of it has a Minnesota M on it. The other side has a Michigan M, and they have the score painted on it. And every year, whoever wins it gets to take it home with them. That's their trophy. They keep it. They write the score in it. And then when they play again, bring it out to the field, that whole rigmarole. But the one I love the most is the ugliest trophy, I think, mm-hmm. in all of college <laughs> sports. It is it is a hideous trophy to look at. I think it's great when players from either team try and do the you know symbol of this trophy, do what Paul Bunyan's doing on it. But it's the battle for the Paul Bunyan trophy between Michigan State and Michigan. This is, I mean, I I hate Ohio State. I'm getting to that same level of hatred in Michigan State being a Michigan mm-hmm. fan. So to win this, I mean, he's got his hands on his hips. He's kind of looking off with a pipe, uh, a stovetop pipe in his mouth and his hat on. And Paul Bunyan's just all ugly and goofy looking. But damn, I want Michigan to win that ugly trophy every year. It's not the biggest trophy. It's not the best looking thing, but it, there's a lot of pride and State championships only matter in high school, but to me, if Michigan wins this every year, I can say, all right, they're the champions of the state of Michigan. They get to take that ugly. Uh, I, I cannot, for people who don't know what it is, Google Paul Bunyan trophy. This thing is hideous looking. Like It is a ugly, ugly trophy, but I want Michigan to win that thing every year. I think it's cool that they do that. There's a whole... I mean, we've been going to Michigan our whole life traveling. Paul Bunyan's a big deal there. I have no idea. I have no reason why. I don't get it. I just think the whole idea of playing for this Paul Bunyan trophy is so cool. And I remember a couple of years ago, Michigan State was dominating. The Michigan hired Harbaugh. They kind of turned the tides. And Donovan Peoples-Jones will forever be in my memory because he's the only guy I've ever seen score a touchdown and do justice to what this trophy looks like in the end zone. So 
the, the Paul Bunyan trophy is my favorite in all of, in all of these weird little traditions of college sports. Yeah. A lot of these, like you're talking about the little Brown jug and stuff like that. These, th- these trophies have been around almost a hundred years. If more than, I mean, yeah. the, I think the little Brown jug started in like 1902. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, this is, these universities have been playing each other for a long time. So that, well, that Purdue, Indiana one, that book, I mean, it is called the old token <laughs> bucket. Like, <laughs> And I did a couple of other things outside of the trophies themselves. So there's a lake near the horseshoe in Columbus at Ohio State called Mirror Lake. It is a fourth degree, I think, misdemeanor. So you get a fine or something if you jump in the Mirror Lake. But the night before every Michigan-Ohio State game, a whole bunch of students go down and jump in Mirror Lake for good luck. It hasn't worked the last two years. I think that stuff's cool. Yeah. No, I do too. (laughs) And I want to stress this though, okay? The Michigan-Ohio State game is usually around Thanksgiving. Yep, and so is cold. <laughs> yeah, Columbus <laughs> is cold. <laughs> so I know, I know, because where I live and what I do, I know a lot of OSU alums, and they've all done it. It's one of those things everybody does. There's a uh, Wisconsin, they do at the beginning, of, or right after the end of the third quarter, so before the fourth quarter starts. And oh, yeah. this is more of a visual thing you have to watch. But they play the House of Pain song, uh, Jump Around. And that place is, I mean, I know people that have been to those games that you have never, ever been anywhere that's louder than that. Then yeah, the student body yeah. just jumping around. I was I worked for a year in Milwaukee, and most of my work was in the in Madison. And I remember people used to tell me, stay the hell away from Madison Halloween. Because <laughs> those students are insane. My yeah. wife talks about this a lot. Purdue. They have it's uh, it's called Breakfast Club. It actually didn't start till like the 1980s, but before a game, people and all the bars and stuff are open. There's a famous one called Harry's Chocolate Shop. They open at like 4 a.m. and mm-hmm. students get dressed up and they just get completely loaded until the game starts. Well, and that's the thing. Like Iowa, had, I have a lot of problems with that football program. This is you know internal yeah. stuff with their coach and everything, but they do. You mentioned it before the fourth quarter. They wave at the children's hospital. That's there. I mean, ESPN did a whole big story on it this past season about people turning and waving at the children's hospital. And you want to talk about weird college traditions that I never understood in Michigan. When they come out of the tunnel, they hit that banner that says, and go blue, your club supports you. And that nothing gets me fired up more than a game than when I see that Navy jersey with those maze pants running out and all those guys coming up and smacking that. Like, I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it. You mentioned the House of Pain thing, jump around, which I've never been there live. I've been there live to see yeah. Michigan come out and touch that banner and to see that band do all the stuff they do. And that's another thing, too, with these college bands. Yeah. The stuff they're doing now at halftime shows is amazing. Yeah, I know. I know. I hate to bring up another Ohio State one. but Well, you live in Ohio, <laughs> man. <laughs> but there's, there's, the to- there's the dotting the I. I've never been to an Ohio State game, but again... You know, people just talk about it on how it's something they and Ty, I'm going to tell you a story about one of the I, I think the most awesome college tradition of a place I'd never heard of till about two hours ago. But the okay. but the Ohio State thing, it is it gets everybody fired up. It happens right before the game. And these stadiums, that's what people don't get. The horseshoe and um, the big house hold a hundred thousand people. Yep. OK, <laughs> that's all, that's, and it is. I don't know what the right word is when you're what I've been to the big house uh, twice in my life now. And it is at times frightening, but then also just like, I can't believe this many people are here right now Yeah, in one space to watch 
teenagers play football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and they they sell out. These stadiums are oh, yeah. constant sellouts. They are they're constantly sold out. And so yeah. it's a it's a huge deal. You have to obviously the whole Notre Dame play like a champion today. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they all hit that sign. I mean, that's their version of the, you know, your club supports you. And that's that's the thing about college sports when you talk about traditions. When you told me what we were recording about today, it was really hard for me to think of professional sports stuff. Yeah. It was so much easier to think of college sports stuff because those things are so baked in tradition. Like the whole college rivalry just aspect, just college games. Every at Clemson, they touch that rock yeah. before the game and play that. But to enter Sandman, yeah, like what <laughs> what gets you more pumped up? Like yeah, that, I was looking up that rock, and it was something like the coach found it one day and thought it was cool. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's, it's like just, in the twenties. That's the story with <laughs> yeah. I was just saying that's the story with all these. It's just you, Michigan, they keep it because they win. They, this guy finds a rock. This guy takes a piece of the stadium at for Florida State back. This stuff all starts. The early, like I said, you know, with some of the Big Ten stuff with Nebraska coming in and Penn State coming in late, yeah, they're not as baked in tradition. But these things, Florida State, thing you mentioned, the '60s, Fielding Yost, early 1900s, the old Oaken Bucket, I'm sure was early 1900s. Like these are, and again, there's no trophy for Ohio State, Michigan, Auburn, Alabama, but those games are a big deal, and it's, I mean, every year. Ohio State and Michigan play each other, like you said. They play each other the day after, or two days after, the Saturday after Thanksgiving every year. That's yeah. their tradition that they do. I, I, you can write it down in pen. So stuff like that is just, it's such a big deal. You go through a whole week at the end of college football season, rivalry week. That's all it is. Like, it's, it's, it's football. It's, I know there's probably traditions in other sports, but these aren't the ones sure. that everybody knows that can come no. directly to mind right away. And that's why I think college has this special fan base attached to it. I mean, it's not really a trophy per se, but I remember when I worked at the Carnival Company, I had to go down to Montgomery. I worked there too. Yep. (laughs) I had to go down to Montgomery, Alabama for something. And I remember talking to some people about the uh, Auburn-Alabama rivalry. And the story was, like, Alabama, I think, used to be the elephants or something like that. But yeah, they're the Crimson Tide, but their mascot is an elephant. Right. But which they, makes no sense. No. Well, they got the name Crimson Tide. There was Auburn was beating them pretty bad. And then suddenly Alabama started to come back, and the announcer yelled, like a Crimson Tide crashing the shores. And that's oh, and they cool. just adopted that. But the Auburn one, I mean, you want to talk about badassery. So Auburn's the Tigers. But mm-hmm. their chant is War Eagle. Yep. And that eagle flies around. <laughs> so, so the story is that Al- Auburn was getting beat at home bad by Alabama. And then suddenly people saw this eagle come flying onto the stadium, dove right into midfield and died. And Auburn came back and won the game. <laughs> Jesus. That could only happen in college sports, too. And that could only happen in the South. I, I mean, it's such a badass story, though. It's like, oh, it my. totally God. is. But, but I'm going to end this, and then we'll talk about some of the pro stuff in the second half. But I'm going to end this. Well, with, and, like, uh, real quick, though, too, you know, just some of the names of these stuff you got, you know, you're talking about War Eagle and the chants and stuff they do. And, like, Ole Miss and Mississippi State play for the Egg Bowl or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. like, some of these names – Make absolutely no sense, but if you talk to a Mississippi State grad and an old Miss grad who are just fans of those teams, that's the most important game of the year. I remember when Michigan was struggling after Lloyd Carr, quote unquote, retired. I remember you telling me because Michigan was bad and, you know, they would be going three and nine, five and seven. And you said, well, what if they go 0 and 10 but beat Ohio State? And I was be like, that's great because that's what I want Michigan to do. So people take this stuff 
incredibly seriously. Like I am, I have a Wolverine tattooed on my back. So if you go to somebody from Mississippi and make fun of the Egg Bowl, mm-hmm. be ready to get your butt kicked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm going to end this tie with a little school called Taylor University. I, uh, so I, I can't even imagine where that is. It's in Upland, Indiana. It's about midway between Indianapolis and Fort Wayne. Okay. Tiny town, about 3,500 people. Taylor University is about half of the damn town. It's like 1,500 students or so. It's kind of an evangelical Christian college. In 1997, the coach decided he wanted to try something. And it was the the men's basketball game, the last men's basketball game before first semester finals. And so he told everybody, and the, you know, it's an NAIA school. It's a small, yeah. really small college. And he said he wants everybody to be silent until Taylor scores her 10th point and then go nuts. So it was born <laughs> okay. this tradition called Silent Night. So you go sure. to this game, and it is constantly sold out. You go to this game, and you just hear the squeaking of the shoes and all this other stuff. Now, dribbling. Yeah. Now, first off, only once has a game been canceled, and that was because of COVID in 2020. Sure. But Taylor is 24 and one in Silent Night games. Okay. Wow. And it's gotten to a point now that when the 10th point is scored, they rush the court. They throw like, I mean, it's like a 10 minute delay in the game, but they're not given a technical foul because (sighs) they call it a media timeout. Yeah. And then then at the very end, all the students (laughs) sing Silent Night. That's. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, I mean, I was racking my brain for my own college. I went to a small school myself, and I'm like, I don't remember any real athletic traditions we had. But here's one they just decided, and the game's been covered on ESPN. They show oh, okay. live feed-in when the game happens. And when I was watching some of the things, it is. It is amazing how disciplined they are. They, it yeah. is dead silent. And then the 10th point is scored. And then I don't know if Taylor is any good at basketball. I tried to look it up I, because you go look it up. You only see this game, but yeah. you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I, they've invented something for themselves and it's a, uh, you know, good for them. And stuff like that. You say it's amazing how disciplined they are. Cause I bet you, if you have a student who wants to be a joker or something, mm-hmm. people will get on that student. They'll, they'll let that student know. Hello all, this is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels and Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed uh, a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of this state, she's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because she talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Uh, Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Lease, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint, he was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week, and it's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on High Heels in Politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. 
Okay, Ty, uh, let's talk about Thanksgiving, all right? All right, let's do it. <laughs> the Thanksgiving Day football game is, in all honesty, I think it's kind of lost a lot of its luster, mainly because of college football's taken over. It's, it's, yes, there's that, <laughs> but it's also, there's a king of the hill, and it's probably one of my favorite Hank lines ever, where Peggy's like mad about something going crazy or something like that, and she thinks Hank and Bobby don't need her, and it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, Hank doesn't cook. Peggy does the cooking stuff, but I guess he was going to make some special turkey and she stole it and ran away. And Hank looked at Bob and he said, Bobby, I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to ask you two things that I never thought I'd ever have to ask you. One, where's the aprons? And two, can you tape the Cowboys game for me? (laughs) (laughs) God, that's so good. (laughs) So it's this idea of the Cowboys and the Lions playing on Thanksgiving Day. And I know a lot of people are like, why do they do it? Why do they do it? And I actually think the story is good. It's interesting. First off, since the NFL was founded in 1920, it has had Thanksgiving games. The reason they've done that is because they were trying to get people interested and they knew Americans were sitting at home on Thanksgiving. And it wasn't successful early on. Sure. And then the Detroit Lions started to host one every year since 1934. And I believe they have hosted one every single year since 1934. So I don't have an issue with Detroit doing it. Now, Dallas was an expansion team and -hmm. they started to host it in 1966. There are two times, though, that Dallas has not hosted a Thanksgiving Day game, and they were in 1975 and 1977. Now, the reason Why? in 75 is because they were playing the Lions, and the Lions got okay. the Lions got the the preferential or whatever. Or no, I'm sorry, that was 76 they were playing. But 77, I don't know. I have no idea. Chicago and Miami play, and then huh. Detroit and St. Louis. <laughs> That's a weird. Yeah. That's that's a weird <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, so it yeah, it's just yeah, it's just a strange situation. But for the most part, they have and there was I know as a matter of fact the one on I think Thanksgiving Day on Fox this year they rebranded it as the John Madden Classic, which I uh, love that. Yeah, which is great, but it was it wasn't just that there were these Thanksgiving games that I think the NFL made this great thing is they usually started earlier. Like I could remember mm-hmm. watching Detroit at like ten thirty in the morning or something. Hundred percent. And it's and the and the turducken. Exactly. That's all. what I was about to say. You know, the <laughs> yeah. the world was. I know he didn't invent it, but introduced to John Madden's turducken and his MVP like- trophies as he's giving them all turkey <laughs> yeah. legs as MVP. And you see like Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman chowing on a turkey leg <laughs> while they talk about the game. And I feel like you're right. I'm sure somebody else created the turducken, but in my mind, I like to envision John Mad went to bed one night, had a dream about this turkey stuffed with a duck, stuffed with a chicken, and then went to a famous <laughs> chef friend he had and was like, make this for my Thanksgiving game. Okay, I'll make it for you. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. I, I can... I have vivid memories of Emmett Smith and full pads, helmet off a cowboy's hat, eating a turkey leg on Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, and me probably being mad that they beat a team that I liked or something. Right. And look, there is <laughs> there. I think of like memorable NFL moments just in my lifetime. And there was the uh, the Cowboys game where they're playing Miami. And this was old Cowboys Stadium, but still had the hole in the roof. But it snowed weirdly yeah. in Dallas and the field was covered in snow and this was the Cowboys Super Bowl run in the mid 90s mm-hmm. and Miami went to kick a field goal to win the game and I this very well. yeah slipped and <laughs> fell and then the game basically over till Leon let goes barreling through to touch the ball Miami oh. gets another shot and they win the game <laughs> only only thing I think anybody knows about Leon let too 
Yeah, then there <laughs> was around that same time, it might have been a year before or after, there was a game with the Cowboys and the Packers. And again, the Packers were on the Ascension, and Aikman got hurt. And Jason Garrett went out there, and the Cowboys won like 42 to 30 something. Jason <laughs> Garrett against Brett Favre. So the, <laughs> there's there's that one. There was the uh, the butt fumble game. Mark Sanchez butt fumble. It was, actually was on a Thanksgiving. It was on. It was the night game. It was. Okay. I told you, like they added those night games. But honestly, yeah. my son has watched this video of like every NFL team's most lucky and most unlucky play. And this particular play, this happened in 1998, was the luckiest play in Bears history and the unluckiest play in Steelers history. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is it? No, is it the field? No, because the field goal thing happened in the playoffs. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have no idea. The coin toss. Oh, where's they? <laughs> Where? Didn't Seattle call tails or something? Or it, was, it, was, it was Pittsburgh, yeah. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, and the ref basically said no you didn't yeah you didn't call that (laughs) also you gotta i mean you're a vikings fan too randy moss had that insane thanksgiving game where he had like three catches for three touchdowns and 150 yards or something it was the exact same day oh really (laughs) (laughs) so so, again we talk about pro sports you're right they don't really have that the nfl does have that which i think is cool yeah if you really, really wanted to go in with holiday stuff and like this is very niche for NBA fans, but the NBA kind of owns Christmas Day now, just like the NFL owns Thanksgiving, but yeah. except college football is coming. NBA, you again, I think you're at home and this is a newer thing with the NBA. I think it started in like the 70s or 80s, but there is basketball on all day and it's usually the high marquee teams. But that's I think the the Thanksgiving football is way more of a recognized tradition than the NBA games on Christmas Day. Yeah, they are. Now, you want to talk about a sport that's so far up its own butt on tradition is baseball. And <laughs> it is it is when you have catchers telling young guys what they like and give me all the Jazz Chisholms in the world and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and all these guys who are like out there doing their thing, I would rather take any of them over that jackass catcher for the Yankees now who played for the Braves, who's yeah. like, you got to play by the code. Yeah, forget all that. I say, I give joked, me all these new guys. I joked with you when we were talking about this. I was going to say one of my favorite traditions is when a pitcher hits a dude that hit a home run off him and looked at it too and long. Tell the listeners what I said to you on the phone yesterday. Pitch better. Yeah, is what I said. Well, it's, I say baseball and it's stupid code, but I, I would be remiss that look. I grew up in St. Louis, which is I know people are going to roll their eyes there. when. They, yeah, I know people are going to roll their eyes when I say this, but that is baseball heaven, people. I mean, that's I went. Yeah. My son sang the anthem with his school at game what's his face got on the mic and said welcome to the cardinals game welcome to baseball heaven that's how they open every home game 81 times a year and then i moved to milwaukee which had the uh the that has the sausage races it's the first team that ever (laughs) had the sausage or it's i mean they're the only team in the sausage races other teams mimic it now and it's unfortunate because look that's a very milwaukee thing but, Doesn't Milwaukee have a slide too? For oh homeless? yeah, yeah. For Bernie the yeah. Brewer, whenever what did, I heard yeah. somebody say, I think it was uh, Gareth on the dollop said, "Hey, my team, whenever we hit a home run, we have a drunk guy jump in a big vat of beer." <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> but no, the um, it's unfortunate. But I know a couple of years back, Milwaukee added a fifth sausage, the chorizo, and 
they need to have Is a different problematic. One. They okay, need a different right. one. There's all there was that Pittsburgh player who hit the lady in the sausage race the one time. And <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I know DC. I mean, every like I said, yeah, the Reds do something on the video board, but DC they do the presidents. They did like the uh-huh. sausage race, and it's the it's the Mount Rushmore presidents. It's yeah, isn't Roosevelt like the all-time champ of that race oh he may be i I don't know i know when we went to i went to a game in dc years ago he won so i do remember that (laughs) and every now and then they'll add another like president to it but it's always the mount rushmore presidents yeah there's again i said i came from baseball heaven to the birthplace of pro baseball and to the point that in cincinnati opening day is actually a city holiday city employees have the day off I've been to parades and things like that. What they do in Cincinnati. Now, granted, it's the only game we're going to sell out all year, but (laughs) it is an affair. And it goes back to 1869. The first professional baseball team was here in Cincinnati. That team doesn't actually exist anymore. They were called the Red Stockings. And two years after that, they moved to Boston and then were disbanded. The real oldest team in baseball is actually the Atlanta Braves or the Boston Braves. The oldest continuous Hmm. one. But... The first pro games were played here in Cincinnati. So we have a huge, I mean, just huge celebration about it every single year. To the point of, for a long time, the very first game of the baseball season was always Cincinnati. Because to honor them as the first team. Now, Cincinnati does get a home game. Every single first game, first Reds game is at home. It wasn't last year because of COVID. But... They uh, they do get a home game for it now, and this year was the first time that all teams started on opening day, but I, it's, I'm kind of sad that they don't get the first game anymore. Sure. I want to talk about the seventh inning stretch. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned off mic that you were going to name some. I was like, I don't know any of them. And then you said this, and I said, oh, I do know the seventh inning stretch. There's a lot of different theories of how the seventh inning stretch started. There's a theory that, in again, in the old days, the Cincinnati Red Stockings, the manager started, he taught, and he even, there's documentation of him talking about spectators stretching during the half of the seventh inning, extending their arms and legs, walking around. He would do that so he could warm up relief pitchers longer. Smart. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's good, and it makes sense. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the story most people kind of associate, though, with the actual on a seventh inning stretch happened in 1910 in um, Pittsburgh. Then president and Cincinnati native, William Howard Taft, who was a big dude. Okay, he was 350 Again, pounds. <laughs> I, I, uh, okay, that is, I was yeah. going to say relative, because he probably weighed less than I do, but that's way more than I weigh now, so. No, but he, and he was a very, I think he's the first president to ever throw out a first pitch. I mean, very avid uh, baseball guy. Mm-hmm. And so around the seventh inning, he, the story goes that he stood up and everybody else in the stadium stood up because they thought he was leaving, and it's what you did as respect for the president. And he looked yeah. around, and he's like, huh? And he's like, I just need, he tells an aide, I just needed to stretch. And that's where the uh-huh. seventh inning stretch comes from. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> dogging pro sports saying how hard it is, but this one, <laughs> over 100 years ago, born out of tradition, <laughs> yeah. just some nonsense that he wanted to get up and stretch. Yeah. So yeah. good for that. Just, that's just, way better than their stupid code that they have in baseball. I remember September 11th well. I remember how I felt. I will tell you that I can count on, if I lost four fingers on my hand, I could still use one hand to count moments that President George W. Bush made me proud. And (laughs) him going out there to Yankee Stadium to throw out that first pitch, 
I mean, that was that was awesome. I mean, it was incredible. And something else they did during the seventh inning stretch after September 11th is they'd start singing uh, God Bless America, mm-hmm. which made sense at the time. It's tiring as hell now. Yeah, well, they did it before the Cardinal game that I just went to recently. Yeah. And I mean, so. they did. They don't do it every game. I'll say I think they do it just Sunday games here in Cincinnati now. Okay. Um, and it is interesting. My wife said that for opening day, they were watching this big, like, dopey-looking mouth breather dude gets up there, and they're like, now saying God bless America, Jabroni Joe. And this dude had an amazing freaking voice. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I was like, oh. don't judge a book by its cover, dude. Don't you have a child that you teach that to? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't listen to this. So. <laughs> I, I want to end with hockey, though. Because okay. weirdly, hockey has a lot of long-standing traditions, uh, some that are absolutely nutty insane, and I'm going to end on your favorite school of just pure wackiness. But uh, okay, And I want people, so people, we don't talk about hockey often, so really enjoy yep. this time. Here's your hockey I don't know that I don't know that we'll ever talk about NASCAR, but we are talking about hockey right now. So I had to actually Google this because I was just curious. I actually typed in, do hockey teams still shake hands? To this day, Ty, after a playoff series, when the winning team celebrates for a few minutes, they line up and they shake hands. Oh, wow. It's like the only sport that does that. Yes, that blows my mind (laughs) that they still do that. Playoff beards. Hockey players famously have been like they won't shave during the playoffs. So by the time you get the Stanley Cup, you got a bunch of Viking-looking dudes out there playing hockey. I remember in 2019 when the Blues won, my beard was pretty big, and people are like, oh, you're not shaving for the playoffs? I was like, what are you all talking about? So, yeah, that's because I don't watch hockey. So, yeah, that, that's a big deal. I've heard the playoff beard thing for a while. Yeah. God, so it used to be you had to win, it was like best of eight, or yeah, or you had to win eight games in order to win the Stanley Cup. This was back in the 1920s. And so some dude in Detroit got a live octopus, and before the first game of the playoffs, threw the octopus on the ice because eight. of eight, yeah, because of eight yeah, okay, uh, right. appendages or whatever. And Detroit won the Stanley Cup that year. So there, there comes a point. Now I think they use like you know stuffed octopus or stuff like that. But they started the tradition of throwing crap on the ice. Now, yeah, which is not cool. <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> I think it was in Vermont or something. There's a college that before the season they all throw dead fish on the ice. Ugh. There Gross. was there was uh, the Florida Panthers sometime in the 90s went on this wild playoff run all the way to the cup. The story was right before they started it, there was a rat in the locker room and one of the players <laughs> killed it with a stick. So yeah. they threw they would throw throw a uh, you Classic know like ones. fake fake ones, but there yeah. was there's rumors that there were real rats being thrown. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, most of it a lot you'll see is there'll be like teddy bears or stuff like that a lot of times after a hat trick people would throw hats onto the ice and Mm -hmm. so you have that kind of tradition but ty let's talk about michigan hockey well hold on before we move (laughs) on to college we got to talk about the stanley cup oh yeah i'm sorry yeah i was gonna do something about all of the uh all the different trophies one time but no this you're right the tradition of the stanley cup go ahead i'll let you take this yeah like again i'm not i i know nothing about hockey like don't come to me for hockey advice at all but i did again the blues won the cup here in 2019 and i have one of my best friends growing up in high school is an avid hockey player really good hockey player so would talk to him about it a lot but i do think it's really cool like it's rad that the team who wins the stanley cup and i don't know the length of time i don't know depending on how 
good players are to how maybe less they play or whatever. But I believe every player, I'll just say, gets the Stanley Cup for like two days. And they can do with it whatever they please, I suppose. And most of the stories I hear about it is people take it, get hammered. Like beyond belief, people will mm-hmm. fill it with liquor. They'll have people over and people will just get totally wasted on it. But I think it's really cool that you have. And I've heard stories, too. My buddies told me were like it's been returned to the team and it's dented. So they've had to fix it and stuff like that. But I think that's really rad that like hockey players, I don't know what they keep, 20 players on a team or something like that. I think it's really cool that each one of those players, after going through a full season, going through the playoffs, winning their top prize, they get to have this trophy, this Mm -hmm. thing that is the best thing you can get in the sport that you play. They get to have it and keep it for a couple of days. And I think that for a sport I don't watch, for a sport I don't care about, I think that's really – I wish I wish the NBA did that with the Larry O'Brien trophy. I wish the NFL did that with the Vince Lombardi trophy. I think that's so cool that they get to do that. No, I do think the Stanley Cup is the coolest trophy in all of sports. And like I said, I'll save that for another time. The Stanley Cup we have now is not the original one. It got lost. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I have to imagine this is like the 10th one they've had or something But it, like what's that. cool, though, is you win it and your name gets put on the cup. So some of the yeah. stories... There was, I want to say it was one of the Canadian teams won it in like the 40s, and the coach had two sons who scratched their name into the cup. <laughs> the cool it. thing about that is both of them won a Stanley Cup later in their later in life. Nice. Man, if I lived in Canada and I had the cup at my house, I'd put I'd eat so much poutine out of that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> um, Mark Messier, when uh, the uh, Edmonton Oilers, when he was with the Oilers, a younger guy, won the cup. He took it out to a strip club and took it out partying <laughs> all night. And it got all damaged and dented up, and he had to pay to repair it. Chris Draper, who is a Detroit Red Wings player in the late 90s, he was honestly trying to take a picture of his daughter in the cup, and she pooped in it. <laughs> <laughs> but and this is what Draper, the reason why i know chris draper is because this is what he said he said don't worry i clean and had some drinks out of it later in the day <laughs> all right <laughs> as long as he had the drinks out of it before anybody else did. yeah there was a uh it's been in movies tv shows it's been left at places famously yeah. when uh, the new york rangers won it in like the uh, 90s there was a huge drought and i'm going to talk about the legend of the drought here but somebody had the cup. I want to say it was Mark Messier or somebody again. And the next day when they were supposed to give it to someone else, they couldn't find it. And it ended oh, up God. it was in the bottom of his pool. <laughs> but That's the, hilarious. The Man, le- hockey players are nuts. Oh, yeah. they, go, yeah. they do some wild stuff. So the legend, though, of why the Rangers had to wait so long is in 1941 they won the cup. And they had a... Uh, by winning it, they made enough money to pay off the mortgage of Madison Square Garden. So they took the mortgage papers, threw it in the cup, and lit it on fire. But the cup also caught on fire. So <laughs> all the players peed on it to take the fire out. Now, that story oh is probably God. total BS, but yeah, I'm sure. But that's the legend of why the Rangers wow. had to wait, wait so long. That's wild. Hey, at least they got the fire out. <laughs> yes. So um, Michigan hockey. Yeah, they're actually a pretty good hockey team. They're they're in the Frozen Four uh, right yeah. now. <laughs> so the student section is unofficially called the Children of Yost, which I think is named after an old coach or something like that. He was the football coach there. Hockey again. I know this because I spent a lot of time there. It's called Yost Ice Arena. 
There is, you can go, there's a Children of Yost guide to um, to hazing, to basically hazing the other team. And I remember, I've heard this before, but a lot of times you'll see if uh, you're at a hockey game and the opposing goalie takes their uh, helmet off, you're always supposed to yell like, hey, goalie, you're ugly. That started <laughs> so with rude. the Children of Yost saying ugly goalie, <laughs> and they still do it to this day. But the, oh, wow. big, the big one is whenever Michigan scores, the whole student section in unison will start yelling at the opposing goalie going, Siv, 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 it's all your fault. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. Whoa, and what does that even Siv, mean? Siv means it's <laughs> oh, they're, they're okay. letting things through. <laughs> yeah. But it gets, as it goes on, it gets, um, oh, if a shot is blocked, if they've scored and the shot is blocked, they'll yell, lucky Siv. Things like <laughs> But there's, I cannot find, oh, here it is. If they give up another goal or later in the game, this is what they say. You're not a goalie. You're a sieve. You're not a sieve. You're a funnel. You're not a funnel. You're a vacuum. You're not a vacuum. You're a black hole. You're not a black hole. You just suck. You suck. You suck. You suck. They have to say all of that? <laughs> yes. And they <laughs> do you it. have to remember all of that? <laughs> they do it in unison. Or Good Lord. <laughs> another one is they'll start uh, yelling. They say a lot of this, especially to like Michigan State. If you can't get into college, go to state. <laughs> i mean it is oh that's so rude <laughs> I, and i mean some of these are really off color but you should just well, look yeah. look at like people go type in children of yost and see i mean i was reading it was an old old cracked article they were talking about it and they're like honestly are they trying to make these opposing goalies commit suicide because this is negative <laughs> reinforcement so of that, and that's what i want to say too is like People will hear this oh, and be like, oh, Ty, you must be a really bad guy who likes to demean people. Hockey, <laughs> again, one of my best friends growing up was an avid hockey player. As a fan of the team you're a fan of, you are encouraged to go incredibly hard against their opponent. Like, it is not frowned upon to say, like, you're, like you said, you're probably doing timid stuff. Mm -hmm. I went to Marquette High School out here in Missouri, and that's where my buddy played hockey. If we were playing Lafayette, your alma mater, or Melville, or somebody like that, we, I would like try and find opponents' phone numbers to mess with them and stuff. So you're encouraged to go hard. For some reason, oh, yeah. hockey, you are encouraged to go hard against the opponent. And they were like, whenever their goalie comes out, they always yell, handsome goalie. Or <laughs> there is a, when there's a minute four left in the period, they all in unison chant, how much time is left? That is one word for each second. It takes you a second to say each word. Right after they say it, you hear the announcer say, one minute left in the period, and they all say thank you. <laughs> and then This is nuts. No, yeah, no, no. It is crazy. And then this they, makes this reaffirms <laughs> my belief that sports is such a cult, too. <laughs> they also, when Michigan State is there, they'll chant, if you can't get in the state, shoot yourself. If you can't shoot yourself, reapply. If you can't reapply, be a ref. If you can't be a ref, coach at state. I think they've Good gotten. Lord. <laughs> I think they've gotten rid of the shoot yourself part, but yeah, uh, hopefully they have. That's yeah, that would be no good keeping there now. <laughs> no, but you know what? It's I mean, hell, I'd love to play at Michigan. You got that kind of sport. Yeah. <laughs> well, and if I were a goalie, it'd be great to be called handsome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan of my team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so that is. I mean, most of it's a negative reinforcement. At least they're calling their goalie. <laughs> oh yeah, no, they're. <laughs> But it is, it is supposedly, people say it is one of the absolute best places. Like, when I was reading about this, I'm like, you know what? I, I may go to a Michigan hockey game sometime just to be, witness it. Again, witnessing the football stuff and all that's really cool. But, yeah, I want to go to a basketball game. Now I want to go to a hockey. I want to go to a hockey game 
just for that minute four thing. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be awesome <laughs> yeah. to hear that. <laughs> so that's what we learned. We learned Michigan hockey fans are creative, if not brutal. Uh, Taylor, <laughs> Taylor University has maybe one of the best traditions no one's ever heard of. And there's a lot yeah. of crazy old crap running around the Big Ten right now. Well, and also that for a sport that you are you nor I watch, hockey's got some cool stuff, man. Hey, I was impressed as hell that they still shake hands after series. That's because, I mean, you can go back and look at the, the Last Dance documentary and see the Pistons walk off. But college basketball teams don't usually shake hands. And I know a lot of that's like covid you know, yeah. push now, but it, it it happened before COVID came out. So it's, it's, I think it's very cool and makes sense with hockey because they all have those big gloves on anyway. So Ty, if you need to get your special section in the children of Yoast part of Michigan <laughs> arena, where are people going to find you? That'd be so awesome. Again, just to hear the minute four thing and to hear everybody say thank you. Um, please, yeah, please come contact me. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, Ty Kulik, T-Y-K-U-L-I-K, all lowercase. More importantly, though, come read my stuff on SeedSing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. We spent this whole time talking about traditions today, and I just wrote a whole thing about how I think UConn's men's and women's basketball program might be the most traditional, the most elite program in the country. So go check that out, SeedSing, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. Check me out on Chucklehead Chat and check out that podcast just in general. My buddy Glenn Adams hosts that. I've been on it a couple of times, but he has some really good episodes. Very uh, St. Louis-centric. So if you live in St. Louis and listen, go check out Chucklehead Chat. But most importantly, listen to me on this podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast. Rate, review us, tell your friends about us, check out our Patreon. Got good news here in St. Louis with the school board stuff. The crazy conservatives did not win. They actually got their butts whipped by the incumbents, which was good. With that, we need better gun reform, as always, and as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, we repeat all that. Even, uh, look, the the Wisconsin Supreme Court, I know this is something you guys would expect to hear on this one. but <laughs> That was a big deal. Yeah, yeah, that is. That is um, I, I remember before my father-in-law passed away, he had a very dim view of this country. And I mm-hmm. wished he'd lived just long enough to see the midterms and see. I do think, I do think things are changing. I do. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully. And, and so with all that, uh, we thank you for your years. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Remember, we are here every Saturday for free, wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And I just got word that my son's track practice is canceled, so I need to get out of here, Ty, and go pick him up. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye. The Ex Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik and Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.